Welcome to Invest Stories. Whether you're a seasoned pro looking for that next step or a newbie investor not sure where to start, Invest Stories unlocks the mindset, strategies, and techniques of high performers across business, real estate, and investing to help you level up your journey to financial freedom. This is Invest Stories Tuesday Techniques. Makes sense. Um, I, and I, I want to touch on that just a little bit more and, and kind of go over one of the questions I'm going to ask you is about rules of buying short term rentals, kind of, I guess, what your buy box is and why. Um, not just what I don't want to know, just know the what, but we'll talk about the why. But I, I had a question that popped up in my head that so I wanted to back up for just a second. And because we, we do talk about mindset a lot here. When I first met you a couple of years ago now, Lori, um, that yeah, I know, long time, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but the this was this was not this was not your thing. This was this was at least not at that time. When I met you, you were the storage unit mm-hmm. queen, right? If I remember correctly, and, and I believe you were buying. And I'm I'm just going back to- solely by memory. Kansas. Um, I was in Stillwater, right? Oklahoma. Oklahoma, dang it! I knew Close. it was one of those mid Midwest states. Close, <laughs> and and when we spoke, I don't know. It was I think it was probably at last year's uh, meetup over in Maui. You, you said that this was just not something that you were interested in continuing or growing any further, but your original plan was to be, you know, really, really big into the storage unit space. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk to what happened there? What, what did you like or dislike about the storage unit space and, and what shifted in your mindset to, to move toward the short-term rental space? Yeah. The hilarious thing is actually while we were in Maui, I was in the middle of purchasing my homes in Blue Ridge for short-term rentals. So I was in the middle of a 1031 exchange. I was selling my um, storage facility in Stillwater, Oklahoma. Um, And during that, that's kind of when I discovered that maybe I didn't want to invest in storage facilities anymore was um, I was underwriting deals and it just started to feel very heavy to me. Like it just didn't feel good. I am not, I am a minimalist, like to my core. It drives my husband crazy because he thinks like everything looks like a psych ward because I don't decorate anything. Like you can see my walls are very plain. Um, So the idea, like just the idea of storage, I think internally didn't make me feel good. And then um, I just didn't like the deals. Like it, it was just, I know a lot of people say like boring makes money, but it was just boring and I didn't like it. And so it didn't feel good. I wasn't finding anything. I was going to lose $75,000 if I didn't go through with this 1031 exchange. Um, So then I think I was talking to James, my husband, about potentially getting into short-term rentals because, you know, you can buy a house pretty quick. Uh, It was kind of just starting to... You know, it's kind of that time frame, um, the end of 21, where a lot of people were getting invested into short-term rentals. Um, but it was like, hey, we could buy these houses. It's a great cash-on-cash return. We were estimating about 20%. We would save $75,000 in taxes. And it was something that we could close quickly within that 1031 time frame. I think I had maybe five days left on my identification period when we were in Maui. So um, every morning, you know, that's the great thing about being in Maui and I was negotiating in the uh, East uh, East Coast. So it was like a six hour time difference. 
So I'd be up at four in the morning because I was already three hours ahead. And um, I'd be up at four in the morning talking to my real estate agent before we would go into workshops and stuff like that, negotiating these contracts. So yeah, that's kind of, I guess, just the kind of my gut feeling, like an internal feeling that I had that I just didn't love storage facilities. And, you know, I'd probably get back into it at some point, but right now, like, I just love the idea of short-term rentals. I love vacation. I love travel. I love creating these amazing experiences and memories for people. So it's just kind of a, a feel-good investment for me right now. That's awesome. I, yeah, I I like the hosting side of it. I say I like it. My wife does a really good job of the <laughs> management and communication side, and we have a badass cleaner who just um, is just, you know, second to none. All, all of our reviews mention how clean the place yeah. is, which is always a good sign, I think. Um, Trish, in terms of in terms of finding a property, finding a market, maybe, what's your, and, and Kyle said the words exactly earlier, the buy box, what, what kind of, um, what do you apply to uh, find the perfect property? So I, I look at um, vacation areas, like Lori said, um, I don't really buy outside of typical vacation areas. The areas are usually places that were having short-term rentals before it was like cool. So like the Pocono mountains have been short-term rental area for over a hundred years. So, I mean, that market is based, based primarily on vacation rentals. Um, so places like that, I also like to have drivable distances from some major cities. So in the Pocono mountains, there's New York city, there's Philadelphia, there's DC, and they're all within, uh, within three, three to four hour drive. So, I mean, that was huge, especially during COVID. Um, and the other things I look for is can two families comfortably stay in the place? I like to have a property that has at least four bedrooms because even in an economic downturn, you may not take the vacation by yourself, but if you split it with another family, then um, it's more affordable. Um, if it's drivable from your home, you know, those are the kinds of places that people go when they're maybe not flying to Hawaii or flying to Europe. Um, they can do a less, it's still a vacation, but it's a little less expensive and, and, you know, you can split the cost with other people. So those are my like three main criteria that I would say. And I'm curious, this, I guess this question would be for either or both of you. And one of the biggest questions that I always get and not just, just not in the short-term rental space, but just in general is how do you pay for these? And I'm not saying, where does your money come from? I'm saying, well, I guess I am. I'm saying, where does the money for the purchase of the property come from? You know, not, not necessarily your down payment, which if you want to share that, you're more than welcome to, but more along the lines of how are, are these being financed with DSCR loans? Are these being financed with second home mortgages um, and all the rules that come along with those particular types of financing? Uh, or are you paying cash? And what do you usually tell your students in the remote host or the remote host club whenever they ask that question? Just straight cash. So I think no, our, just our <laughs> yeah, just just, just no, make it rain all the time, money. right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, right. No, go ahead, Trish. Sorry. I would say um, we definitely do very differently um, for now. I mean, I did second home loans um, with ten percent uh, down payments um, to start, 
And, you know, you can still get, even if you have, you know, um, if you've exhausted your second home loans, there are still ways to do 15% down as long as your DTI is okay. Um, but once you're out of there, uh, Lori can probably talk to more of like the DSCR type loans. I know she's used those. Yeah. So, um, so we have five short-term rentals right now. So the first one we bought as a second home, like it was really just intended. It's in mountain town out here, Cleelum, uh, about an hour and a half from me. So it was really just going to be a second home for us. Um, but then after COVID and we started going back to work, we, uh, weren't using it as much. So that's why we kind of turned it into a short-term rental. So we bought that one with a second home loan. Um, the Blue Ridge properties, we had the 1031 exchange, but then, um, we used a DSCR loan, uh, through a company called Vizio. And so there's a couple of things about DSCR loans. So, um, excuse me, my, our DTI is totally out the window because my husband works, but we have a bunch of properties, you know, banks don't want to loan to me because they think I can't afford it. Um, so this DSCR loan, you know, we wanted to keep, we also wanted to keep our credit report open because we knew that we were going to be buying a new primary residence. And this is something to keep in mind is there's a lot of DSCR products out there, but some of them will still hit your credit report. So they'll still completely screw your DTI. So we needed a a DSCR loan that would not affect our DTI so that when we sold our primary house, we could buy a new primary house. So we used that type of DSCR doesn't hit your credit report. They only qualify it based on, they use actually air DNA numbers um, to make sure that you can afford the house. So that was the Blue Ridge properties. And then um, the Hot Springs properties, we started with hard money. It was a Burr and B. So we started with hard money, remodeled it, refinanced it into a DSCR loan. So I'm going to ask the, the question Carl was probably thinking of, which is, where did the hard money come from? Is that private lending? Is that family, friends, under the, couch. Under the couch? Yeah, um, so a combination. So I used a <laughs> hard money lender. Um, certain lending is one that's pretty big up here. So I've done a handful of deals with them. Uh, so I used certain lending. And then I also had a private note for the um, for the remodel part of it. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. I like that. That's yeah. I I hadn't heard of the the mm-hmm. Burr method for Airbnb. Burr and Air, B. Air yeah, Burr and B. Is what is a lot of people it? call it. Uh huh. They've got there a catchphrase for everything <laughs> nowadays, don't they? I know. We should yeah. we should do an yeah, episode Brandon of just probably came up with it. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. No, don't don't give don't give him credit. Come on now. This is Lori's thing. Or that's, oh, a, that's what Brandon would do, right? Yeah, it. I like it. You've got to claim that, Lori. <laughs> Never admit it's that. stated on the podcast. Yeah. Lori, I wanted to, um, you both have extremely nice backgrounds behind you. Not You're not just in a garage like I am um, or an office like Kyle. In terms of setting up a uh, short-term rental, where do you, I guess, where do people go wrong or what's kind of the best practice to uh, set up your your rental for success yeah trish do you want to take it 
Sure. So there's a lot of different ways um, that you could do it. And I am not, I'll just say I'm not a designer. I, I'm not into design. I, if I have to do it, I will work my magic as best <laughs> I can, as you can see, but it's not, not a design by any means. Um, so my, my go-to is hiring a designer, um, whether it be locally or, um, you know, someone online to kind of just put things together. Um, I, if you can buy a house that's furnished, go for it. I think that's like the way to go because it'll, even if you don't like the furniture or even if, um, you're not going to keep everything, you have a starting point and a set point and you can change paint colors. You can change different things to kind of make it look nice in the pictures. And, and if the furniture is really nice, then that's a bonus. Um, plus you have the option of, uh, financing the furniture basically over 30 years or whatever your mortgage is. Um, so I have bought houses um, that were fully furnished and I've uh, hired a designer for the ones that were far away, like Florida, so far away that I was not going to fly um, and stay there for two weeks to set it up and design it. It's just not part of my lifestyle that I could do that with two kids. So um, I hired someone local that was, that was actually had some uh, Airbnbs under her belt and she was, was very good at the timelines and she was very good at getting things. At this point, it was kind of a time where you couldn't get furniture. You couldn't really get things in stock. So we were like, what's in stock? What will look good? You know, um, just kind of trying to pull it all together within my time frame, which was like, like a month. So I, it worked out. Um, I wouldn't say it was, you know, one of these, like where they send you the, the, the visual board and like all this stuff. And I was like, yes, I want the peach, you know, and this, I wasn't like that. I was like, all right, is this going to look good? Is this going to look good in pictures? And can we get it done in this time frame? That's more of my style of setting things up. That's awesome. I think that, that that's really interesting because there's a we got ours and it was fully furnished. We had to get rid of some of the awful furniture, mm-hmm. but a lot of it stayed. They left us a really nice kind of oak table with a bench on either side and stuff like that. It's, it's it was was super nice. Um, so I'm going to ask you both the question: What's the one thing that everyone should have in their short term rental, the, or the one non negotiable item? Bedroom. Yeah, that's definitely. Okay, well, I was hoping beyond that. Super important. (laughs) Um, Well, the one thing that I always like to have is a sofa bed. Like, I know some people are against it, but, you know, it adds another two people, um, whether you always have it or if it's just like, you know, you can also charge extra for it, which I used to do. I don't do it anymore, but like, say that you have enough. Uh, space for six people, but then you have a sofa bed. So that would make eight. You can say, well, this amount of money is for six people. If you want to use the sofa bed, it's going to be another 20 bucks a person because, you know, it's extra laundry, all that stuff. But if they don't use it, then, you know, they don't have to pay for it. But I really love having sofa beds in my places. Awesome. Um, I'm, I'm curious Lori and uh, Trish, I'm not trying to exclude you here. Um, it's more of a, a question about having your your own management platform. Um, I know that you have a, a direct booking website for your Airbnbs, or I guess for your short-term rentals, not Airbnbs. Um, but, you know, I, I've 
I've been listening to some of the chatter amongst a lot of hosts and a lot of other hosts are saying things like they're, they're just really unhappy with the way that Airbnb is operating. Well, you know, this isn't a bash Airbnb's, you know, time. This is, this is not what I'm trying to do more along the lines of, you know, I think there's can be, a, there can be a lot of savings there if you can bypass that platform. And you've done that by creating your own direct booking sites. So what went into that for somebody who who's operating short-term rentals or midterm rentals, like, I don't want to pay this anymore, especially because my, my numbers are down over, you know, year over year from last year. I mean, money invested, uh, if you wouldn't mind talking about that sort of thing, setting up your own direct booking. And then also you got to do SEO and, and all these different things so that people can actually find you. What's that look like? And, and Trish, I don't know if you're doing this. That's the only reason I didn't direct the question towards you. But if you have insight there, uh, please feel free to chime in. Yeah, I think we both do it. The yeah, same ahead, yeah. Right? So we both have direct booking sites. So actually, through our property management software, which is what keeps our calendar, we're on Airbnb and Verbo. So it keeps our calendar from double booking. It integrates with our dynamic pricing software. Um, it sends out all of our message templates. But there's also we use Guesty for hosts, and they have a direct booking platform through their uh, software. So once I decided that I wanted to have a direct booking website, um, I wanted it to directly, you know, as few clicks as possible for people to be able to um, check out. But it's really challenging to set up the calendar and all that stuff to make it work. Like there's a lot of technology garbage behind it. So all that to say, what I have is I have a landing page that is my Golden Deer Escapes. That's my company. So it's a Golden Deer Escapes website. It's just a landing page. If you click book now, it'll take you to my Guesty site. So that side is all taken care of through Guesty. Um, money invested. I did try to hire someone on Fiverr for like 500 bucks to do it. They said that they could do the whole shebang. Turned out they could not. Um, total waste of money, although I did get my money back. Um, so I decided I would just do it myself. Uh, I used WordPress and it's pretty easy to just, you know, kind of lay the whole thing out. Um, and then you just, all your buttons just go to Guesty. So then the booking platform is all already set up. Um, we have a device called, um, there's a company called Stayfy. And that's like a access point that you plug into your Wi-Fi router. And what it does is it acts just like as if you go to Starbucks, right? And you want to use the Wi-Fi. You have to put in your name and your email address, and then you get free Wi-Fi. So it does the exact same thing in our short-term rentals. So people have to put in their name and their email. So even though when someone books through one of the OTAs, Airbnb or Verbo, um, you get the person who's booking, you get their contact information, but you don't get the eight people that stay with them, right? So if you do StayFi, then you can collect those additional eight email addresses, and then you can send emails to them too and say, hey, thank you so much for staying at Logan Lodge. We'd love to have you back. Here's a 10% discount for when you return. So it's a great marketing strategy for getting some of those return guests. And we only offer it to guests that are good guests. If something happens, they don't make it on the list. Um, but yeah, that's definitely something that we started doing right away. 
um, and we love getting return guests. We advertise it in the um, rental as well, that if they wanna book direct, our website's there um, so that they can save. It's like 15% on their side. Honestly, the saving isn't savings isn't huge on our side, um, but it's really them. So if they're asking you for a discount, if you can kind of sneakily do it, we have ways that we can kind of, you know, in all of our pictures, we have our logo that has our website on it um, that are posted on Airbnb. So if they're smart about it, then they can figure out how to get to our direct booking site and save like 15 to 20% on fees. Thank you for listening to Invest Stories. We'll be back tomorrow with Wednesday Wins. Please consider sharing and writing a five-star review. Check out the full show on Friday on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts.